0: Listening to Delta Dispatches, we're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Aver with Environmental Defense Fund and Restore the Mississippi River Delta.
1: <laughs> and I'm Simone Velas with Restore the Mississippi River Delta. Thank you, Jacques, for that prompt. I appreciate it.
0: Of course, want to set you up. Um, so, Simone, I have to ask: We're a few weeks in. How many king cakes? What's your What's your tally at this point?
1: So I'm only at two, which is really nice, but um we did we did finish an entire one off in about half a day. So that that like you know quantity versus um pace is probably concerning there. Yeah. <laughs> um so so as you probably know, it's um it's a birthday week in our house, and so there's guaranteed guaranteed to be another in our house later this week and then of course um because we live in louisiana penny got the baby in her class and so that requires um more more king cake purchases
0: so yeah it's it's going well and i have to ask as well um and i saw that there was a second line in new orleans in tribute to someone who is very near and dear to i know you're in my heart um betty white um You know, were you in attendance? Did you see any of the photos of that? I just obviously love Betty White and the Golden Girls. But just love that tribute in typical New Orleans fashion as well.
1: Yeah, we actually had a discussion about that in my house, and my husband's like, "I cannot believe there are so many people there." And I was like, "Well, first of all, it's Betty White, and everybody loved her. But and second of all, I think Jacques Jacques is just like how badly people want to come together and do things, right? You know, it's it's just that time of year and and that season, and so I think that was. Um, You know, I think that's something else. New Orleans thrives on um, living like that, right, together as a community. And so that's one of the reasons why um, the pandemic has been, you know, super interesting here in Louisiana is because that's how we do things here. All together, a lot of us (laughs) outside together. Um, So I think that was also a testament to um, how, you know, people want to be together.
0: So. So cool. And of course, we have to, you know, toast to Betty White on Delta Dispatches because can we, um, we, yeah, we just call it hundred years?
1: Yeah. can we just call it a hundred years? I feel like we sh- it should just go down that way, you know?
0: Exactly. Yes. I think, I think She more than earned it. So Chalk
1: it up to uh, poor bookkeeping or something,
0: right? (laughs) Yes. There we go. Um, Well, you know, we had a great show last time talking about a lot of the progress that's been made on on Louisiana's coast, some of the big restoration projects that are moving forward. Um, And we always like to highlight different angles of... um, our coast, our wetlands, our environment, and how they intersect with our lives. And I know on the show in the past, we've had journalists and book authors and and artists, photographers um, whose work intersects directly with our environment. And so I wanted to bring on um, another um, author and and journalist who's written quite a bit about Louisiana, Louisiana's culture, communities, and history. Um, to talk about that and talk about the ways that the environment has um, inspired her writing. So I'm very excited to have on our show Mary Ann Sternberg, um, who is a writer who's written a number of books that we're going to discuss today, um, as well as different articles for major news uh, organizations. She's uh, a vice president of public relations for uh, a regional uh, retail chain in, in Louisiana. Um, and has taught classes um, at LSU and elsewhere. So welcome to Delta Dispatches, Marianne. Thank you for being on.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: So as I was saying, we, we like to bring on, um, you know, our authors, our, our photographers, artists, um, to talk about how Louisiana's environment um, inspires them or informs their work. So we're excited to have you on. First, tell us a little bit about your background. Are you from Louisiana originally?
2: Uh yeah. I grew up in New Orleans. And um other than four years away at college, I've lived in South Louisiana all of my long existence.
0: I can appreciate that as someone who's uh moved away from <laughs> New Orleans and then you know come back and then you know it's always in your, your heart. Um so tell us a little bit about your writing. I from what I gather, you know, in and reviewing your website, it's a mix of narrative nonfiction. Um Books, essays. So, what, how would you describe your your writing or your genre?
2: I think you just described it pretty well. Um, I started as a freelance writer about oh geez forty years ago, I guess, um, and then I got uh, the first book I wrote was uh, called The Pelican Guide to Louisiana. It was uh, done by Pelican Publishing which of course no longer exists in New Orleans. It got bought out by somebody. But um, so I traveled the state and had the opportunity to see all sorts of places uh, <laughs> I didn't know existed, which was great for me. Um, you know, it's a real, it's a very interesting state everywhere. It just, you you know, people in South Louisiana tend to forget much about North Louisiana, but. Um, Anyway, and I had started freelancing. Um, Actually, the first piece I ever freelanced was in 1974, was to the uh, morning advocate in Baton Rouge. And I just, uh, I enjoyed it. And I've always written on things that interested me. And my interests have expanded. Um, And so I've been... Very interested in environmental conservation issues, probably for the last couple of decades.
1: So, but Marianne, when when you were little, Marianne, did you always want to be a writer growing up? Is that something you loved in school? Is that something you went to college for?
2: Uh, I didn't know about being a writer when I was in school, but I wrote. And I always wrote little stories and things when I was a kid. And so when I went to college, I majored in English. I couldn't figure out anything else I wanted to major in. Um, and I minored in history. And that has served me well in what I've you know, been doing most recently, which, of course, has been writing about Louisiana history and culture.
0: So, Marianne, let's let's dig into some of the books you've written. Um, I want to talk specifically about a series of books that you've written on Louisiana's River Road. So that includes River Road Rambler and River Road Rambler Returns. Um, so, tell us about these books and what inspired you to write them.
2: Well, those books were an outgrowth of the first River Road book I wrote, which was Along the River Road, and that was uh, that's now in its third edition, which meant that from the original, I went back and got new information for the second edition and then new more information from the third. Um, And what inspired me to do that was the River Road, which, of course, is the area along the Mississippi between New Orleans and Baton Rouge, it was perceived as being a plantation parade. And that was pretty much all people thought about it. And I, when I was doing the tour guide to the state uh, for Pelican, I was down in Garyville talking to the director of the Timber mill Museum um, a guy named Norman Marmalion, who um, later was the one who restored Laura plantation uh, but at the time he was telling me what all else there was around his museum, and um, I mean I you know I was like most people out in new orleans even though i was living in baton rouge i didn't know there was much on it on the river road besides the plantations and so i was fascinated and then i was talking to my mother about a couple of weeks later and you know people in new orleans used to always take out of town visitors up the river road and she'd had the occasion to do it and said there's nothing on the river road anymore and i thought wow, she and I think there wasn't anything out there and Norman and people like him know all these interesting things that are in their particular areas. So I went looking for a book to inform those of us who didn't know and there wasn't a book. There were hundreds of books but they were all pretty focused. Uh, There were books, you know, on, on the plantations. There were books on economy. There were books about... Uh, the river. There wasn't anything that you could get in your car and drive along and say, oh, wow, that's a such and such, or wow, what was here before, or what does this mean? And so I wrote that book because it didn't exist. And that was along the river road. And then Rambler and Rambler returns after I'd gotten so invested in the river road, Um, I realized that the things I've been writing about, uh, because Along the River Road had backgrounding chapters about um, words that were kind of vernacular to the area and architecture and river development and that kind of thing. But then it was a guidebook up the East Bank and down the West Bank. And so I was treating these 100 miles kind of superficially, and I realized that there were some honestly unique places and um, kind of unknown sites, and they deserve to have a spotlight. So um, River Road Rambler is a collection of 15 stories and Rambler Returns is another 14. And it's just all kinds of things out there. that I wanted people to know about. Long answer to a short question. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That's really it.
1: It's, it's so interesting to see how stories or books develop, right? And and for you, it was a collection of those things. So, let's take let's focus on another area. Uh, let's focus on Bayou Manchac. So, tell us more about winding through time, which focuses on that area, and why that's such a special coastal landscape for us.
2: Well. Um, I, of course, learned about Bayou Manchac as I was riding up and down the river road because the Bayou used to be one of the distributaries for the river. As your audience probably realizes, uh, everything, every waterway that came into the river, that connected to the river um, below Baton Rouge was a distributary, not a tributary. And, um, you know, it was all part of natural river control. Anyway. There was a, you know, a a historic marker at the place where it had um, come into the river. And in the the bicentennial, I guess, of the uh, Louisiana Purchase was coming up. And for whatever reason, I realized that Bayou Manchac would have been a boundary of the Louisiana Purchase just because of the Isle of Orleans. Right. And. So I did an article um, for a magazine about Bayou Manchac and in doing the research for the article, realized that it was absolutely fascinating and there wasn't a book about it, or I mean a real book. There was a self-published sort of typescript book. So I got involved in it and Bayou Manshak was very historic, but it is uh, critical to the watershed of the parishes that surround it. And that ended up, of course, being part of my story as well. Um, so, I mean, by the, the Bayou Man Shack story, um, it, it goes on. Um, even now, they're trying to figure out how to drain East Baton Rouge Parish, where I live, uh, which is higher naturally higher ground than Bayou Manchac. Um, How to deal with the drainage so that it doesn't flood people in Ascension and Iberville um, and doesn't back the water up back into into East Baton Rouge Parish. We haven't solved it yet, but I did enjoy writing the book. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful bayou, amazingly. Um, It's still... Got lots of areas that are very natural looking. Uh, I took, a, for, the, for the book, I took a um, botanist from LSU out there with me. And he was so enthusiastic about the flora. Um, I mean, and he was obviously much more knowledgeable than I. It was such a contagious enthusiasm. So that was really fun.
0: Yeah, I have to agree, Marianne, that I love Bayou Manchac. I've had opportunities to to explore different areas of it, um, go kayaking out there. And then our partners at Pontchartrain Conservancy and the Coalition North Store Coast of Louisiana do regular volunteer tree plantings out there. And it it is a really wonderful place uh, and special place on Louisiana's coast. Um, You know, we want to talk a little bit about how our environment shapes your writing. But first, I want to ask, I mean, you also have done a number of articles for um, outlets such as Country Roads, Forbes, even an article in The New Yorker about Louisiana's swamp swamp rat dog treat. I think we all know who that is, Marsh Dog. Um, we've had them on the show in the past. So tell us a little bit about your mix of writing and kind of what interests you when you pursue an article like, um, like that one for The New Yorker, for example.
2: Uh, it's usually when I come across something that I find interesting. And I... Either think other people would be interested, or think they should be interested. So the idea is to write something compelling enough uh, that I can appeal to people who didn't know they cared. And in you know, in so far as uh, Marsh Dog, I mean, you know, how many this sort of defiled nutria was finally going to be used for something positive? Um, because the killing of Nutria for food never took off because it was always too much of a rodent. Um, anyway, the so Marsh Dog, I just thought was a great story. And I was just lucky I got to interest the New Yorker in the story. Um, another really good environmental story I did was for uh, the Dallas Morning News magazine. Um, I don't know if you remember, I don't know, what was it, 10 or 12 years ago, C.C. Lockwood and Ray Gary did a artistic venture called Marsh Mission where they were going along the coast and Ray Gary was painting and C.C. Lockwood was photographing. And it was all about uh, what was happening to the Louisiana coast. And I got to go out um, on the boat that they had with uh, C.C. and his wife, spent the night, got up at four o'clock in the morning to go out with him in a canoe, or in in a motorboat, I guess, Um, and look at places that were uh, really ravaged. Uh, And, you know, it was kind of an eye-opener to be there on the ground. Those are
1: uh, I can I can see that book on my bookshelf right now, and so uh, those are some other great Louisiana artists who are inspired by um, our unique landscape. And so, and you talked about that earlier about how you um, was you were been moved by some of the Louisiana environmental um, challenges here. So, you know, do you think Louisiana is unique? I mean, of course, we all Jack and I think Louisiana is unique, um, but but you know we feel like the Louisiana environment has inspired so many other writers, the ones you just mentioned, and and nonfiction and fiction writers, those um, other artists as well. So talk about that a little bit more about
2: what makes Louisiana unique. Um, <clears throat> what makes Louisiana unique? I mean, you all would know better than I. Um, You know, the threat to the coast is probably what makes Louisiana unique right this minute because our coast is different from the other coastlines along the Gulf Coast, as I understand it, because of it being the uh, mouth of the river and how the river has built the land. Um, But the I mean, I think swamps and marshes are beautiful. I've had this conversation with my brother who thinks swamps and marshes are scary. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I've been out canoeing and tromping around and I just think they're wonderful and we should be working to save as much as possible uh, in, in the most uh, efficient way possible so um i you know yeah well we certainly
0: agree with that assessment marianne and and i just i agree with you in terms of there's something about being out on a bayou or being out in a swamp and the sounds and the smells and the sights. it just it it, it's illuminating and and so many ways i feel like the environment is, is a character in and of itself uh in louisiana so um really Glad that people like yourself are, are working to document that and to share how unique and how special our environment is, and the history that that shaped our region. i um, so closely tied to the environment. So, I want to ask: Are you working on any projects right now? Um, are there things that you know you're kind of interested in in the future to explore?
2: I'd you know like to do more of what I've done. I'm not working on anything big right this minute. I regret to, 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 to say, but, uh, you know, if anybody has any ideas, pitch them to me. <laughs>
1: I like that. So Marianne, tell folks where they can go, uh, to learn more about you and your writing, purchase your books.
2: Uh, I've got a website, which is MarianneSternberg.com and the books are available usually at all the booksellers. The regional booksellers, and then also, of course, on uh, Amazon. Uh, don't really want to push Amazon right this minute, but nurse is about to maybe lose its sort of last indie bookstore. So, um, but you know, know, books are on Amazon, indeed.
0: Yeah, we always, you know, uh, advise people to shop at their local bookstore when they can to find the find the books, but also they can go to your website to learn more and kind of learn more about your writing and your background. So I have just a few last questions for you, Marianne. Um, You know, we like to talk about the next generation on this show and and whether that's in science or or policy, engineering, media. Um, So what advice would you give to the aspiring writer out there who wants to pursue a career in writing?
2: Uh, I'd say just do it. You know, you can't want to be a writer and not write. Um, and I mean, I belong to some national writing organizations and, you know, at all the meetings and forums and so forth, there are new people who come in and they're frustrated and people who've been at it for a while, just keep telling them, you know, that's how everybody starts and not that many people end up like John Grisham, but you can do it. Um, you know, just pick things that you're really interested in and pursue them and try and find ways of getting your message out there. Um, You know, and if you're going to write a book, these days, actually, if you can't find a traditional publisher, you can self-publish. It is no longer, even in writing circles, considered embarrassing to self-publish. And there are a lot of people who self-publish and have done really quite well. So that's uh, certainly another way to pursue it if you want to do a book.
1: I think that's very good advice. Just stick to something that you like and pursue it. I think that's good. It goes beyond just writing. Um, okay, Marianne, as we wrap up, I have to ask before you go, um, your bio says that you've canoed um, small bits of the Mississippi River, ridden a towboat, pushing 40 barges along the big muddy Tell us what that experience was like. Those are two different ones. Um, As Jacques is at the the top of the Mississippi River, I don't want him getting any ideas about getting in the Mississippi River. (laughs) And I've certainly seen the towboats pushing the barges along the river. So tell us about those experiences um, with the river before
2: you go. Well, I, you know, having spent so many years writing about the River Road, I've been very interested in the river. Um, And getting out in the middle of it, you know, in South Louisiana, we've got the levees that keep us from getting flooded, but it also keeps most people away from the river and they don't ever think about the river and it's a whole world unto itself, plus a whole history unto itself. Anyway, oh, probably 30 years ago, I did an overnight canoe trip uh, with a group from Baton Rouge. And we went above Baton Rouge and put in at uh, Thompson's Creek and paddled into the river and spent the night on a sandbar in tents and then took out at Baton Rouge. And then I discovered um, a guy named John Ruskey, who has an outfit in Clarksdale, Mississippi, and now they have two satellite outposts, um, Quapar Canoe. And John's thing is to introduce as many people as possible to the river. He wants people to love the river like he does. And he builds Voyager canoes. And so he has has documented the river from St. Louis down to the Gulf by paddling and making information available to other people who paddle. Uh, anyway, I've only I only went with him one day uh, in the Voyager canoe. They were putting in, we were doing a trip from Baton Rouge to the Gulf, and I met him at the Sunshine Bridge and paddled to Convent with him. And I just being out in the middle of the river to me is just so exciting. Uh, it's it's just such a special place, even though the river, as we see it today, is completely engineered. Um, and so, you know, I've read books about when the river ran wild and that kind of thing. Uh, so, riding the towboat was a story I did for the um, for, for the Rambler Returns book. Um, you know, having lived in South Louisiana for so long. I'd always seen these towboats pushing barges on the river and I had no clue what it was about. So I kind of wangled my way onto a towboat and spent a long day riding on the towboat and seeing what they were doing. And I have to tell you, when we were going through our first bridge, uh, I'm up in the pilot house with the captain and I'm looking in front of us and there's this apron of steel or iron or whatever barges are made out of right in front I mean this is what we're pushing this is it's like acres of barge barges and I'm thinking oh my goodness how in the world are we going to get through that bridge and, I mean we just slid right through it was so exciting anyway it was a- It was a wonderful experience being on the towboat and seeing the river from the inside, being up in uh, the pilot house with him, watching how he did what he did and how professional you have to be to do it. I didn't mean it's just, it, it, it was terrific.
0: I love, you know, that description, Marianne. And and unfortunately, Simone's trying to deter my dream of hopping on a raft and floating down from Minneapolis. But maybe one day I'll do it or I'll join your buddy for at least a portion of the river. But certainly I can, um, you know, understand it. Uh,
2: No, seriously. Because they they run these trips and anybody can join. And uh, so if you're willing to camp out, you, you should do it I mean he's fabulous John Rusky he's he's absolutely miss mr Mississippi River and he's very environmentally conscious um, you'd love him well we'll
0: definitely have to connect with him and you know that will be on my uh on my to-do list you know certainly to to, to experience that and you know growing up alongside the river I think you know i would would connect to the river by riding my bike on the levees as a, a young boy. And then older when I lived, um, when I was older and lived along the river as well, you know, going to places like Crescent Park and New Orleans and other yeah. places where you can feel really connected in that way to the river. And so I think it's great to see, you know, people trying to get back to that connection and open up spaces where people can go and experience and enjoy the river. There's nothing like being alongside it and seeing a huge tanker go by and really thinking about how connected we are to the rest of the world and the power of the river. So um, really, really love that assessment. Um, so it is time, Marianne, for our fun question. Every guest on Delta Dispatches gets asked a fun question. And so for you, I would ask who is your favorite um, Louisiana author or artist um, besides yourself? Who's someone that you know really inspires you and, and, and whose work you really appreciate?
2: Me? Um... Golly, there's so many. Um, You're going to make me pick one?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know, that's the tough part. Uh Or not,
2: there's no penalty. You could say a
0: favorite (laughs) of many, yes.
1: Yes.
2: A favorite of many. Um, Gosh, well, so many, you know, people who write nonfiction open my eyes to things. so in that vein, I'd say reading uh, John Barry's book probably made me appreciate what happened in the 27 flood a whole lot more than I ever had. Try to, you know understand uh, the in- environmental issues and the political issues and uh, the whole thing. So Rising Tide, you know, ranks up there.
0: Yeah, I have to say, you know, that book certainly opened my eyes, even though I grew up like in New Orleans, outside New Orleans. I didn't have any idea of the history and the political and um, engineering decisions that informed our landscape and our lives. And so Rising Tide was one that certainly opened my eyes up and it inspired me to pursue the career I have now. So that's a really great answer. Well, Mary Ann, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, Folks can go to maryannsternberg.com to learn more about your writing and your background, um, to learn where they can get your books. Um, And so we really appreciate your time and your sharing your perspectives with us um, and our listeners.
2: I really appreciate your letting me come and participate. I've really enjoyed it, thanks.
0: Absolutely, well, hope you have a great start to your year. And with that, I will do our coastal stat of the week. Um, Happy birthday to the Coalition North Store Coastal Louisiana. 34 years ago, CRCL started with a bold, impactful paper paper titled, Here Today, Gone Tomorrow. Over three decades later, CRCL is still fighting to restore coastal Louisiana and ensure we have a sustainable future. As our coast has changed, so have the objectives of CRCL, but throughout our formidable history, our commitment has never wavered. Now you can help us celebrate our 34th birthday by supporting our restoration programs. This is your opportunity to purchase supplies that will directly benefit our boots-on-the-ground operations, Um, and you can go to crcl.org to learn more. So happy birthday to our partners at the Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana.
1: Happy birthday, CRCL. I'll take care of the Coastal Voice of the Week, which is from a friend of the program. I really do care about Louisiana. I wouldn't work like this if I didn't love it. I want the best for my kids and hope they stay here at my home state for their education and get good careers. But if we don't stabilize our coast, none of our kids will have a future in Louisiana. I'm working hard to make sure that they have that option Because this is really a magical place. I can hear Christy Trail, the executive director of Pontchartrain Conservancy, saying that like I can hear her in my head. So, congratulations, Christy. And um, she was named or she was featured in Authority Magazine's Inspirational Women in STEM and Tech. So, congratulations, Kay Trail. Good for you.
0: Yeah. Congrats, Christy, and that's a very powerful voice of the week. And a reminder, you can go to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash restore-the-coast and share your voice um, on why Louisiana's coast is so valuable to you. Um, So thanks again to our guest, Marianne Sternberg, um, and thank you all for listening. We'll be back next time on Delta Dispatches with more great coastal content. Until then, we will see you all later, Alligators.